Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast on this, the first day of July. Joe Scrabbles, how's July going? Uh, well, what are we, 11 hours into it? Nothing yeah. disastrous has happened to me yet, so I'm feeling good. pretty good about this month. Oh, I, uh, do you know how good my uh, July's going? It's 11am and I've already had one dinky sausage roll. Oh! oh I've had, a, I've had a peanut butter bagel and it... I've recently invested in a new, more expensive peanut butter, and let me tell you, it's making me pleased every morning. I love it. Crunchy or smooth? Crunchy! Uh, Matt (laughs) Perslow, crunchy or smooth? I don't like peanut butter. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, At least, is July going okay for you? Oh yeah, July's going wonderful. I watched an episode of a television show this morning that we'll talk about later, and I built a little sea elf, so... A little sea elf! Yeah. That's nice. What a lovely... What? Was that this in morning? What? Yeah, I built, built, uh, built an Idenough Deepkin model this morning. Oh, a Warhammer. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was very confused for a minute. Did you think that was some sort of, like, horrific, <laughs> horrific innuendo? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what was going on. Watch, watch a TV show and let me tell you, I built a little sea elf. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the boys will do to you, but we'll get on to that in a bit. Um... Today we are doing another one of our Builder Game Workshops. Mm. This week, we're going to each build the best RPGs you've ever, ever heard of, that have ever been conceived. Um, that's the main feature. First, we're just going to talk about a few little things we've been watching and playing. Not mm. too long about that. But um, yeah, first up, this is more of a PSA than anything, I think. Um, Atlanta Season 3 is finally in the UK on Disney+. Plus. I've been waiting a long time. I was patient, patient waiting to watch it legally um, which is you know I think a good thing to do um, so have they just fully removed because it was BBC before right or, yeah because yeah, I think isn't it Hulu in America now Hulu yeah. and Disney combine over here don't they so they so, just uh, said soz Alan yeah. Yentob <laughs> no no um, Atlanta for you <laughs> Exactly. I'm only three episodes in, I have to say, but it's only been out like a day and a half, so give me a break. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's still arguably the best thing on television. It's just so singular and unique. I love it so much. Like already in three episodes, there's been a full on like horror episode, a surrealist comedy episode. The bit I love about this season so far is they're kind of globe chopping around Europe on tour, uh, and trotting even, mm. tropping trotting around europe so you're getting like weird european stuff coming say, in do you it remember it that master of season- not yeah is that what it was called uh I'm yeah sorry. yeah it's a little bit like that but it's obviously its own flavor like do you remember that episode it's in season one or two the one where they go back to vans like hometown there's the weird like german festival oh thing. yeah isn't that um oh yeah i can't remember what that's called but yeah i know exactly what you mean, yeah, yeah it's kind of got that vibe in the first in two of the first three episodes but yeah the first episode kind of obviously i'm not gonna spoil it for anyone like it's a full-on basically horror episode it's kind of got get out vibes but it's also based on this real life really tragic story that if you don't know i'm not gonna tell you but oh. like 
that takes you that like the first one no last at all second one back to the surrealist comedy stuff which is just it's just I, obviously i'm not really explaining jokes to people but if, if you're into you it do. if you're into atlanta you'll be into it the latest one no i watched was set in london which was great and they go to a man's house whose name is fernando and they think it's a normal house, but inside he has his own Nando's restaurant inside his <laughs> yes. house. And his, his name is Nando, but he's not the Nando. <laughs> is it, Donald Glover might so be good. the only person who, the more I respect them, the more I dislike them. Because the more I watch, the more I'm like, oh, fuck off, you can do this as well. Like, get oh, a grip. Too talented, it's very it's nice. But yes. Yeah. PSA, if you've never watched Atlanta, definitely give it a go, because every episode's on Disney+. And if you've been eagerly awaiting it, it kind of just dropped out of nowhere with no fanfare. So um, I'm sure we have American listeners who have already watched it all it's, months ago, and we're like, it's yeah, also like get, get the program. The most confusing slow burn of a program, where the mm. first three episodes feel like one show, and then mm-hmm. every episode after that, forevermore, is completely <laughs> different. Like, they just gave up on it having any kind of normal it's, narrative structure. It's like a really low key twilight zone in a weird way it's very like, strange um yeah it's also the only so show much. i've ever seen that treats a fully invisible car running people over as like a normal <laughs> plot point <laughs> oh god it's so good yeah atlanta check it out um something we've all been watching though and i think we've all been enjoying is the boys yeah um me and Joe, we're fully, well, not fully cool, because I haven't watched today's episode, mm. because uh, I had a chance, because I was too busy eating my dinky sausage rolls. Making sales. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this is another one of those shows, I can't remember what I said, I said this about something recently, that I forget how much I like it until I start watching it again. We were saying uh, about the Stranger my... Things, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, in the times it's off, I'm like, I don't really think about it, but when it's back, I'm like, oh yeah, this is really good fun. Um, yeah, what do you, what are you guys thinking of season three? Joe, you're, you're, oh, you, I was waiting for you. <laughs> oh no, 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 you go first. Matt's, Matt's too busy thinking about his CLs. <laughs> Disgusting. Um, I am similar to you. I always mm. feel this weird underlying guilt watching the boys. Like, mm-hmm. I know it's smart, but it's also really dumb. And like, there are points where I get quite bored of the gore and dick jokes and actually want it to be a bit more serious but then i know that it wouldn't have its cultural effect i think is net benefit but (laughs) and i think that's good but the more i watch it the more i'm like did i need to see another tentacle penis like does that is that something i had to see again i mean one a year is that good is that good for the health i don't know um but i do think like Particularly this season, I think the story's about the tightest it's ever been. Like, it really mm-hmm. feels like it has a properly. Season two in particular, I think it kind of it did the classic season two thing of like, right, we set up our characters, now they're going in six different directions and we're following all those plots at the same time. And this mm-hmm. one feels a bit like that kind of diamond is closing again and everyone's pushing back to the same place. Um, I think Homeland is as, as good and as evil as he's ever been. Um, and I think they've thrown in, there's a really good, uh, we're going to try not to spoil any, any plot points about this, but there's a really good way that they've sort of complicated the main hero characters this season in a way that I'm really enjoying getting to grips with. Like it all feels like 
it will either go somewhere super predictable or super unpredictable, and I don't know which of those things it's going to be, which I guess mm-hmm. makes it unpredictable. Um, net. Uh, but the, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's doing some really cool stuff plot wise. And that's almost yeah. why I'm like, I don't need to see people keep blowing up. Like, just get to the, yeah. g- give me the just good Give me more Homelander. Like, Homelander is, is one of the best villains around at the moment. He's just, just, just horrible. I, just pure evil. For someone that's everyone's agreed for about four years now, he's incredible. Anthony Starr mm. is doing nothing else. Like, what is uh, Anthony Starr doing? Did he get arrested doing? for assaulting someone in a restaurant? That might have Did something he? to do with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's been in a bit of naughty trouble. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think, like, Homelander is just, just an absolutely incredible. And I think one of the things I've noticed, particularly this season, is that having not seen the boys for a little while because it's been what like 18 months two years maybe it's like it's like me at the end of covid haven't seen the boys for a while (laughs) um but the main thing i'm finding is is that we've had now kind of like a year's worth of disney plus kind of marvel shows and none of them kind of stand up to to what the boys is doing in terms of kind of like having that constant through line Mm. of like a really kind of it feels so committed to it, like, and so confident in the show that it is. It absolutely doesn't give two hoots about the fact that kind of like it, like its anti-fascist message is so central to what it is. It is so weirdly edgelord in you know that kind of like because obviously it's a it's a Garth Ennis kind of original comic book, right? Which is ridiculously edgy. And that kind of edgelord stuff got co-opted by kind of like people that we generally don't like to hang out with. Mm. And I love the fact that it kind of uses that against the kind of like messages that those sort of people like to use. So I love that it's weirdly counterculture in that way. But it's kind of solidified and calcified like this kind of real solid personality that i just don't think any of the marvel shows have managed to find at this point yeah we saw that that amazing thing recently which i i think was possibly blown a little bit out of proportion but it was fun for us um when you saw like proper fashy people on, on reddit suddenly realizing <laughs> that the people they liked weren't the good guys mm-hmm. somehow um and I, I don't think it was as widespread like that got some real proper mainstream media attention in a way yeah. that i was like i don't think that many people were that stupid but no. for those few people who were i am <laughs> delighted you don't like the boys anymore congratulations <laughs> on being dickheads it was the full peep show are we the bad guys uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> moment wasn't it um, um, oh, yeah. very enjoyable but the other thing it does as well is just like, like a good chunk of their characters even their kind of like more side characters like the deep who isn't really kind of a main character in that still has kind of like really interesting layers to them where mm-hmm. they've got kind of like implications and situations that they found themselves in they're still horrible people but there's actually like a humanity to that horribleness I, like the the levels to which they go to humanize or let you begin to sympathize with even homelander like mm-hmm. obviously they never went that far with stormfront because stormfront <laughs> was a nazi um but uh even homelander gets moments where you understand that there is a person in there mm-hmm. uh, and that they've essentially gone beyond where they ever can well, you know beyond the point of no return mm-hmm. but I, I really like how open it is with those characters and the quiet moments you get to spend with them amid 
the fucking madness and horror of yeah. that show. It's but it's really clever. Speaking of the madness, I know uh, you're yet to watch this episode yet, Matt. But um, everyone's probably, if, you, if you've been on Twitter, you've probably seen the words "herogasm" around. Uh, mm. I, you know, they were building this up. I think they were building this up too much because I did not think it was that extreme. <laughs> uh, they didn't, yeah, they didn't go too far with it. No. I mean, no, I wanted there's more, only so far you could go with that, I think. Uh, I want more. To be fair, there was one moment where I'm like, that is utterly disgusting. <laughs> there's also, <laughs> part of that build-up, having not seen it, but part of that build-up will almost certainly come from the fact that like, that run of the boys' comic is known as being one mm. of the most extreme mm. bits of, like, counterculture comics ever written. It is... I its reputation very much kind of precedes it it reminds so me of be part of it when we finally got to um jesus Dassad in preacher like mm-hmm. in the tv show versus the comics and stuff like that like those those moments are like famously horrific and it yeah they yeah they're mm. clearly they're clearly working in that knowledge um yeah yeah yeah, I can't wait for the last two episodes, which, well, we can watch the penultimate one today. Yeah, very good. The boys, very good. Again, watch that if you haven't. You mm. might enjoy it. Um, Joe, you want to talk about uh, a little game you've been playing about a sheep? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm going to talk very briefly about this because I don't know. Uh, like, it's, it's preview time, but I'm playing Cult of the Lamb, which is a new mm-hmm. Devolver game coming out in August. Um, it is sort of a roguelike action game in a way that you have played loads of times with a cute art style that is wedded to like what appears to be quite a deep management game at the same time and okay. it's really the uh, I've played like 2 hours I reckon and even then I'm starting to see systems build on systems build on systems in a way where you're like Oh fuck! This might actually eat my life. Um, <laughs> so the the story is: you play a lamb uh, who, in a world of anthropomorphic creatures, who all appear to sort of worship dark gods. Um, and it's got like yeah, it's got like this this very cute art style married to a very grim world. Um, at the start of the game, you are sacrificed for being the last follower of a god that is trying to be locked away and never allowed to be resurrected. Um, as you're sacrificed, that god sort of summons you into the afterlife, gives you its special crown, which turns into a sword, and says, start a cult in my name and bring me back to life. And the game is essentially travelling through roguelike dungeons, killing stuff, collecting resources, and collecting followers. Those followers then get brought back to your base, and you build this cult. So you build, like, a temple, but you're also building farms, shelters... Everything down to, like, you need to build places for people to shit so that they don't all start dying of dysentery. Um, and so you start having to do this, and then it builds on that by, obviously, in classic roguelike style, you're improving stats between runs so that your runs get, uh, or, you know, runs difficulty kind of scales with your equipment. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you're also leveling up your town. You're also setting doctrines for your cult, so it's things like... I've just taught my cult that there's an afterlife, which means that if cult members die, people don't get as sad and lose faith in the religion. Um, and so, and so it just, and I'm in the early stages where it's still tutorializing me on stuff. So I'm not sure how deep this is going to get, but it just feels like I'm kind of, you know, uh, splunking through the top of the iceberg down into whatever the hell is going to happen at the bottom of it. And it's a really confident, interesting start. And also, I will say, 
I've played a lot of 2D roguelike games recently because I've had very little to, like going on in terms of big games in my life. Like I finished mm-hmm. Elden Ring and I haven't found much to replace it. This has the best feeling sword swing in one of these games that mm-hmm. I have seen for ages. Every time it hits, the screen shakes in this really satisfying way and it just feels like I am fucking battering stuff with my little lamb sword. It's great. Um, it sounds a lot more involved than I thought it was. I exactly. thought it was just a straight up action yeah. roguelike. It, basically. it looks exactly like one of those things. And once you start playing and it starts giving you that, that home base stuff, like I think I've spent more time in my town, like collecting things and managing than I have mm-hmm. adventuring in the first few hours. And I, what's, that's a really cool thing for me. What's the difficulty like? So a lot of those games seem to tend to lean to being quite difficult these days. Uh, I, like it's rare to get one that's a bit kinder to you. Yeah. I haven't found it too hard so far, but as I say, I'm still tutorializing. I feel like it has okay. the potential. It's, it's fairly punishing with how much damage you take. So there was like one run where it took me about three times to, to get to the end and beat the boss. Mm-hmm. But I've not had like a f- true sticking point. Like I've also been playing Rogue Legacy 2, which we spoke about a few months ago. And that mm. I've had a couple of times where I'm like, I am fucking banging my head against this now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't hit that level yet, but obviously I'm, I'm nowhere near as far in. So I can't really speak to it, but it feels pretty willing to give you the stuff you need to survive. Cause it, I guess it doesn't want you stopping and having to deal with just dealing with a stagnant town it wants you building constantly so yeah it's intriguing it's it's way more soon isn't it yeah like august 11th and i think on pretty much everything um call of the lamb it's worth looking at i think there's a demo on steam uh yes switch playstation windows mac xbox yeah, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you did mention Elden Ring there. Um, I think we, we we haven't forgot about this Elden Ring spoiler cast. We half promise we'll probably do it sometime relatively soon. I yeah, think. promise, uh, honest. It's just a busy time of year, you know, busy time of year. But um, uh, it's actually a good chance. To, any if there's any last calls on any questions you have about Elden Ring, mm. send them to IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN dot com. Speaking of Elden Ring, that is an RPG game. Um, people didn't know. Right. Um, an RPG game, a role-playing game game. I don't know if that makes uh, any sense, but there you go. Um, let's create the best RPGs ever seen by human eyes. Um, if you don't remember or you're new, how we do this build a game workshop thing, we basically take turns in drafting games. Once a game is picked, though, it can't be picked again by you or anyone else in any of the other categories. We've got nine categories. For RPG, they will be location slash setting, main story, side missions, characters slash party, combat, villain slash boss, art direction, music, DLC, and that all-important special source, or secret source, whichever way you want to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's ten different things we're, we're going to be drafting here. I tell you, boys, there is a lot of RPGs out there. <laughs> and it's also... A lot of good ones, and not many I've played. Yeah, reading through <laughs> big lists of RPGs really made me go, there is a whole section of Japanese classics yeah. that I have never touched. Well, I, th- I did. I know Matt, you were doing a similar thing. I was researching, looking at all these games. I was like, oh, I'll add five of these to a to a list I must play. Yeah. And then I looked, it's like they're ninety-five hours each. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, we will take turns. But in order to know in order which mm. order 
we're taking turns. Joe, have you got the all-knowing wheel of names? I've got the wheel of names. It says Joe Cardi and Matt on it, and I am spinning it now. Oh, who's going to be... I don't want to go first. I want to go first so much this time. Really? I I don't know what I'd go for if I did. Oh, it's so close. It's Matt. Matt is number one. Oh, Matt gets the... And then who's two? Let's find out. Sorry, it's playing its usual applause at me. Uh, Here we go. (laughs) Spinning, 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 spinning. Cardi, number two. Ooh, I'll take that. That means you're. That means I imagine you're the number three, Joe. Let really me spin it, it to find out. Oh shit! No, it just ticked over to me. Oh, I'm what, two. So you're two. I'm two. You're three. Oh, it's, okay. I'm on the turn. It's got that the means doubles. I get back to the back. S- so we, we are doing the snake style. So snake, I get the third and fourth pick, etc. If you don't understand, you'll work it out very quickly. Mm. Um, so sorry, the order was Matt, Joe, me. Correct. Nice. Well, let's get going then. There's a lot of good games out there, and I really don't know how this is gonna fall. But yeah, who's gonna who's gonna draw the first blow and strike a <laughs> dagger into someone's heart? Because yeah. if you do pick one of the games I love, I will hurt you. Oh, through the through the screen. Well, well oh, done. I Cardi. will throttle you digitally <laughs> <laughs> with your CL. Okay, okay. Here we go then. There's two, and there's one which I could pick. I think both of them will will probably be ones that some of you want mm. um mm. but i'm going to go category side missions mm. oh and i am going to take i know what it is elden ring oh not oh, what i thought oh. that's not what I was there thinking. we go okay and so oh. a lot of the things that i thought of for this is i've been trying to find things that really genuinely have something kind of interesting and there is a very very obvious choice for side missions which is the one i haven't taken mm-hmm. mm. which i assume one of you has got probably <laughs> both of you has got your choice but the reason i've chosen elden ring is because so elden ring obviously doesn't have side quests in the most traditional thing it's not like you mm. go to someone who's not on your main quest path ask they add a thing to your journal and then you go and do it, and a lot of games can quite often that can those quests can be as well written and as rewarding as anything on the main path. The thing about Elden Ring is that though your side quests obviously are just side areas and side narrative paths that you find, and they very much kind of appear completely organically on your experience, mm. and there's nothing quite like chatting to a weird lady in a swamp and being transported. <laughs> to a gothic manor that's in the middle of a volcano. And There's nothing reali- like it. Yeah, nothing like absolutely it. nothing like it. And <laughs> then realising that that entire thing leads to the fact that this place is occupied by weird snake people and mm-hmm. there's a massive man that has been overtaken by a snake living in a volcano. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Frank and- Reichard, former Barcelona. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is like that's just one example of what is probably like 40% of the game yeah. is made up of this kind of stuff. And I honestly think kind of like, you know, if, if Elven Ring has a weakness is that probably its bosses in the second half begin to kind of taper off a little bit and they become mm-hmm. kind of on the main path a little bit less interesting. But all the side content in that latter half, you know, the Halig Tree, Volcano Manor. Those are the best bits, I think. They are absolutely outstanding pieces. They've each got their own little bits of narrative. I love how kind of like when you go off to to kind of fight Moog, there's elements in Moog's area that relate to the Halig Tree. And when you start to like do your own kind of weaving of like, oh, I understand how this piece of narrative fits with this piece of story. I just think, like, the side becomes the main. 
Yeah, this is the things. thing. Elden Ring is so much about self-directed exploration that, like, mm-hmm. the idea of main versus side, you can you can do it based on, like, what do I have to do to finish the game? Yeah. But honestly, that means that a lot of the main content is also sort of side content, because you can mm-hmm. get to the end of that game by just going to two places. Um, so, yeah, it's it, you're absolutely right. Like, it's an absolutely... It's yeah. it's an astonishing way to do so, that stuff. Some of the way that it as well that it introduces those areas. Like I can remember, like my my girlfriend once was like, "Did you know that there's like an entire area underneath the whole <laughs> of the map?" And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and then going finding that well and just it's like it's better than anything Bethesda's done in terms of like that opening shot of just going down the well. That's insane. And then all of that starlight and then realizing, mm-hmm. "Holy crap! There's an entire world down here." Yeah. It's well. just. It's a good game. I think Elden Ring's a solid pick. Um, it's a good game. More of that on the Elden Ring spoiler cast. Mm. A little teaser for what you'll get there. Um, that is a good pick. Joe, that means you've got anything yeah. for Elden Ring. Sorry, Cardi. I'm picking The Witcher 3. But I'm not That's fine. That's picking fine. it That's fine. for side missions. I'm picking okay. it for DLC. Because yeah. it is the mm, two greatest DLC choice. packs ever released for any game ever. <laughs> the mm-hmm. uh, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Wine are absolutely incredible. And it's. Are we saying you are picking both DLCs or do you have to pick one? Are we picking oh, I don't one? Know. DLC. I, I think like, I don't maybe, know. maybe you can have both, but I'd like you to. I'd like you to give like the one. Yeah, that which is one the do you? Yeah. Uh, well, the, so it's tough because I like the more unpopular one more. I mean, mm. look, playing to the audience, you got to pick Blood and Wine because it is it's an entire new world with a different vibe. It's got it's it's the most beautiful way to use DLC to finish a story. Like mm. the way it the way it's essentially like Geralt's retirement quest and the way that mm-hmm. finishes is so lovely. Like in such a horrible world, it's such a nice human ending for all of that stuff. Um and it's like Geralt meeting up with old mates who happen to be vampires and uh and like yeah just fairy tale madness it's it's really good fun but if i am allowed to have both hearts of stone is just mm-hmm. the greatest self-contained plotline in one of these kind of expansions and frankly i think it's better than most game stories um like meeting realizing who gaunter odim is <laughs> realizing that you met him at the very start of the main game at 100 hours ago and that you realize I, like, Witcher Three is coming out again this year, so I'm going to yeah, try not I to spoil this. Wait to, so I've never finished the DLCs, but I do kind of know parts of what happens. Just but yeah, I I just can't wait to play through these. Real, Realizing the depths to which Hearts of Stone will go with this character yeah. is fucking incredible. I loved it so much, and there are just these scenes of like actual like horror, like real mm-hmm. horror, um, and just and a wonder like a brilliant boss battle like a boss battle that's not about fighting and a boss battle mm. that's about interest and like it works with a narrative perfectly it's just amazing it's such yeah. an incredible piece of writing um yeah, yeah so, uh, so witcher good. 3 yet again solid pick i yeah, think yeah, for yeah. the rpg draft that means i get two in a row mm. i'm looking at what i'm um what's been taken while i'm running low on i'm going to i'm going to grab one that I, I don't have as strong backups on. Mm-hmm. I'm going for characters and party, and I'm going for Mass Effect 2. Yeah. New Year fucking Yeah. <laughs> Good choice. Best choice. Um, Mass Effect 2. You know, I could have gone 3. 
could have gone one, but I think two is where you have the best selection. Yeah, was, and sorry, crucially, the they're strongest. all and crucially, they're all alive. Just just um, to check, <laughs> characters and party. Are we talking main characters and their party, or are we talking? Yeah, just I think side so. Characters? It's basically just the whole. Yeah, the whole okay. group you have basically. Because um, I realise, you know. Some of you play as a whole party, where some of you just play as a singer. RPGs for you, eh? But yeah, what a, what a gang you have there in Mass Effect 2. Rex is still, I think, my boy. Although he's not really into... <laughs> so that's where my kind of... My debate was, do I go for one because I love Rex so much? But I think two, because you get everyone else coming in. Oh, it's just, you I get Thane, you get Garrus. Exactly, Thane's great. Yeah. And you get um, Grunt, who's kind of, you know, Rex B. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, you know, you get a version. But yeah, um... Yeah, I don't know what more you can say about Mass Effect 2's characters apart from they're just great companions. It's also, I mean, it's also, and I know this is, I know this is kind of a recursive, like this is a feedback loop, but the loyalty missions and the suicide mission and all that stuff, the way it uses mm-hmm. the party kind of for and against you and like the way it plays with your emotions with those characters, like it makes them seem so much more important for being so much a fabric of how that game particularly ends. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's like it's practically faultless for those i know there are characters that people don't like in that in that crew but i almost think yeah. the ones you don't like are part of it as well because yeah, well, you've got to exactly. make those choices you've got to if you liked everyone you know yeah. you've got to have ups and downs and most importantly you can get kissy kissy with some of them in this game yeah you removed the romance category so i lost oh no, you yeah, know <laughs> but kind of like you know that that kissy like the i think a really important <laughs> thing about um about mass effect 2 was the kind of evolution from mass effect 1 into what this was it was a case of every time you come back to the ship you know pretty much there is new dialogue for these people mm-hmm. it was such an organic evolution of your relationships friendships like you know, kind of rivalries with characters and the fact that kind of like they have so much more depth in, in Mass Effect 2. Like Miranda is one of those characters that kind of like, you know, really tortured by her past and is kind of like, you know, verging on being a villain because of her like affiliation with kind of Cerberus and stuff like that. But there's such an understanding of humanity to her kind of issues with how she was raised, her relationship with her father and her sister and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And every single character, like Thane's storyline about like how he met his oh. wife is just one of the most memorable so kind of stories in games. Yep. It's just fantastic. I yeah. love that. I want those. That's... I want all of those lads just, with me. I love that Thane's like a frogman who has a more human story <laughs> than almost anyone in video games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Um, yeah, I'm. So, I'm very happy. I finally played all those last year, mm. so I can now call them my friends. Here's where we start actually building the games. Though, so here's my second pick, and here's where I start combining, and we get mm. the weird, mm. the weird Frankenstein mixes. <sighs> See, there's th- there's some heart choices here, and there's some head ones. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna go because I know I won't get a chance to take it if I wait <sighs> another four picks for main story. I'm going for disco. Oh, I knew it, <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't many choices for me to be honest in main story, and I I just had to take disco Elysium because. Not only is it one of the best RPGs I've ever played, it's just one of the best games I've ever played, full stop. I want a detective story. Any sort of detective story is going to get me into a game. And having the Mass Effect crew trying to solve some sort of communist murder, I'm into it. That seems like that should have been a Mass Effect disc. I suppose there is kind of Mass Effect DLC that is a bit murder mystery mm. detective-y like. Um, but yeah, I like the idea of... <laughs> 
Commander Shepard leading an investigation in Revachol, trying to work out why this tree is hanging. Tree is hanging? Man is hanging from a tree. If you haven't played Disco Elysium, obviously you're not going to spoil what happens in the very end of the game, but it takes turns, and yeah, it's just it's just not only... You know, I'm kind of including not only is the story a very well-told story, the way it's written is just, you know, I get that writing coming out of the mouth of Thane. Mm. So, yeah. You also get the that. reactivity of it, right? Because the main story exactly. of that game is so kind of like wonderfully kind of branching and, and knotty and kind mm-hmm. of like so it's wonderfully vague until it's not vague when it all starts to kind of like piece together and all of the, the glass sort of opens up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just one of one of the best, maybe the best written game ever. Definitely one of the best stories. Mm-hmm. And now I get to see Morden Solace in Revachol. Well, I haven't got the setting of Revachol to be fair. I've just got him doing the story. Morden Solace is very much the uh, Kim Kutsaragi of. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that, yeah, if we're casting him, he's definitely yeah. Shepard and Morden are the two leads. Then um, I don't know. Who's, um, I love the know? idea of drunk, like, <laughs> drunk <Shepherd>. amnesiac tortured <laughs> shepherd. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so yeah, those are my two picks. I've got to wait four picks, but yeah, go ahead, uh, Matt. No, it'll be Joe now. We're snaking Joe, you. I've lost, bastard. Yeah, I just forgot. Well, I, uh, I'm going go on. for villain. Ooh. An annoying. I've got a real heart pick and a real head pick and i think the head pick is better but i can't steer away from the fact and we talked about this yesterday that final fantasy 10 is a game where the villain is a fucking whale call my shortlist (laughs) (laughs) who can we can we spoil final fantasy 10 at this point i mean i haven't finished yet i'm still only two okay well there's a twist to who that fucking whale is as well. <laughs> well, I think you find that in like the first five oh, hours. Do you? Don't I don't you? really remember. No, if, I don't. If, if I... there isn't another twist, maybe there is another twist. I, I think know. there is another twist. I okay, think you haven't got enough. to the revelation of who that is. Well, that okay. whale is important, and it's called Sin, and it's a. F- yeah. And look, I'm not going to go into anymore. It's just a fucking whale. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> But it's, it's it's not like the whale is super cool, but like also the weird like religious elements mm. that spin around it, and the way that that villain like proliferates like through the rest of the game. Like so many villains in games can just be like the person that's at the end of the game that you yeah. fight through like their forces basically to get. But the way that kind of like the whole society of Final Fantasy X is wrapped up around the idea of this flying apocalypse whale Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and like yeah society is built around the evil whale called sin (laughs) look it's the best villain there's ever been in an rpg apart from (laughs) the other one that's in my head but it's probably better but it isn't as funny all right it's the whale i mean don't get me wrong sin was my second choice (laughs) and uh and all I'm saying is, if I've got Gauntero Dim, then we're making him Gauntero Sin, and it's a fucking <laughs> devil elf whale. It's going to be great. Excellent. Um, Matt, you've now got two picks. Yes. Oh, so... look at it. It's like, like a kid in a sweet shop. Look mm-hmm. at him, his eyes. Oh. <laughs> so characters and party. Mm. I'm going to go for Final Fantasy VII. Oh, okay. Very much uh, a heart pick, but also definitely a head pick as well. You know, it is 
beloved, but it is one of my favorite games of all time. I have such an emotional attachment to this. Like, I think in terms of kind of like the writing remake is where kind of those characters truly become really human, particularly kind of Tifa is incredibly mm-hmm. well written in remake, but you know, kind of seven as a whole, you know, Sid is one of my favorite characters of all time, like a wonderfully kind of grumpy, but still incredibly human will give up everything for for the chase of kind of trying to make things better. Um, but the the arc that particularly Cloud, Tifa and Aerith go through over that kind of story is like such a wonderful kind of like, it, it's people that, that kind of like, you know, their exteriors melt to become so much more compassionate about the world. It's about people that like really genuinely do stuff for kind of like the greater good and for, for society and for friendship. And the way they mold those characters is just so heart melting to me that like, I will never, never forget anything about those characters um, and I think there are very few, even within Final Fantasy, a series that is well known for making very good characters. I think there are very few games in the series that can match up to the, as a whole, Final Fantasy VII's kind of party cast. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. be- it's a it's beautiful hard. explanation. Hard to complain. That came from the heart as well. It did. I like that. I, I, oh, I that, love that, that game so much. Um, so Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Ooh, there you go. What's your next one, Matt? I am going to then pick my villain as well, who the Ooh. cast one and seven, and I am going to go for Mass Effect 3. Oh, okay. Ooh. And I'm going to take the elusive man, who I think by Ooh. this point has turned into the best kind of Blofeld style, like man in chair, kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, propped up cigarette. He's like... You know, there's arguably to say that kind of like a lot of his important stuff does come in Mass Effect 2, where you're watching a man kind of like hold the mask up Mm -hmm. and kind of like pretend to be very much in your interests. But I do like seeing him just become an absolute tyrant that is hellbent on this absolutely fucking dude plan. Yeah, there's some... it's a nice layer of sheen to you. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's something so satisfying about a villain who's one of those people where it's like they have an a plan a b plan and a c plan for every single situation Mm -hmm. Mm and it's like it's so just that feeling of like you constantly feel like you're getting one up on them and then they have another way to defeat you and it makes that eventual actual defeat so much more exciting because you're like oh we fucking Mm -hmm. got him (laughs) Mm -hmm. doesn't know what's going on sheen adds so much to that it's like the way he speaks i think uh, like the best villains are you know do have performances that often come it's either finding people that are unhinged or finding people that are just so coolly calculated and you get to see almost like the breaking of that coolness it, particularly as you mm. get to the end of his arc in mass effect 3 you really do see everything drop as he's just so fucking desperate to take over a reaper and use it <laughs> for humanity for humanity mm-hmm. yeah he's he's a He's a horror show, he is. I don't like him. Not a nice man. <laughs> there you go. Elusive man, more like not nice man. Wow. Right? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lovely stuff, Matthew. Uh, Joe, you've got one. It's your time. Um, Interesting. I'm going to go for... Oh, I don't know what I'm going to go for. <laughs> uh, there are, like, there's three categories where I think I've just got something in first place that I just don't think you're going to pick, or at least you're not going to pick till the end. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've got a couple of those. But if they are picked, I'm absolutely screwed. Yeah. Um, yeah, similar. <laughs> um, oh, fuck. Uh, I'm gonna go side missions. Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Ooh, For one okay. good reason. The Cult of Cosmos structure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Best thing Assassin's Creed has ever done, in my opinion. It is, if you don't know, a full side mission campaign whereby you learned that the world is... Un- I mean, you know, there's a lot of um, <laughs> QAnon thinking to this, but the the world of ancient Greece is underpinned by a group of unfathomably powerful secret men in charge. Um, <laughs> oh, men and women, actually, in this case. Um, and uh, you have to find out through a series of clues, assassinations, and side quests, not just how to kill those people but who those people are so you get you're given like this cult structure in a side menu and everyone on it except for one person at the start is a hooded figure and you don't know who they are and as you go through the game whether by following these quests or just exploring the world you will find clues to who those people are and with enough clues it's eventually unmasked who those people are you can then go and kill them but they have like very specific locations um like ways of reacting to stuff you're doing some of them are incredibly strong characters in their own right and it's it's such a wonderful way of using an rpg open world like in a in an open world filled with npcs the idea that you could stumble across an npc who is actually makes you feel like an assassin yeah exactly unlike most assassin's creed games where it's like a series of story beats this is like i have to use my mouse not only to kill these people but find them in the first place mm-hmm. and plan it's so good. I, I, I kind of wish there was just a game that was just based on that concept just give me an open world where i give them vague you know descriptions of people or what they do and then just have to go and find them kind of yeah like if, if hitman was like that but like ultra hard basically you're given like you know they wear i feel like um green the, shoes. what are they called are they even called are they called elusive the targets, elusive targets? Yeah, yeah similar vibe, but i like but... want a whole i don't know just a whole world where yeah. you know the whole game is just you have to kill these ten people. You have no you, at the start of the game you have no idea who they are. Yeah. You have to work it out. I think it's worth pointing out. Like I, I think for me, Odyssey is is the best Assassin's Creed for like mm-hmm. just for many reasons. I think its structure is a little weird, but I think the story wise and and like side mission wise, it's it's way up there for me. And mm-hmm. it's worth pointing out that a lot of the side missions, other than Cult of Cosmos, are very good. Like there's really strong characters. There's some really fun plays on, like, using those historical Greek figures and, like, turning them into certain kinds of people or, like, playing with them a little bit. And Cassandra, if you play as her, is particularly fun reacting to those people. So it's just great in all those ways. But I just think Cult of Cosmos elevates it above the rest of that series and, frankly, most other games that try that kind of stuff. I think it's such a great way of using it. And yet another game where you can get a little bit... Kissy kissy. Oh, that, I mean, this was top of my romance list. I was going to Creed Odyssey all day. Um, there we go. Yeah. So good. Um, good pick. And you know, thankfully, not a game that's anywhere near any of my list. This is the I'm thing. I, I do feel like I've maybe wasted that pick a little bit, but I just I want it yeah, to talk If you about want it, fun. you want it. Just like, I'm confident I could leave this one for later, but I can't leave it for later because if I don't get this game, mm. then what's the point of doing this whole process? Go on. Persona 5 Royal. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. 
Like, I don't know if you guys are going to take it, but I may have to make sure I have it because, you know, this is my favourite RPG, I think. Which category? Just edging out Disco Elysium, I think. Mm? I'm going to take it in art direction. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Not, uh, not music. No. Wow. I've got, I feel like I've got more, there's, there's a lot of good RPG music. This is an unpopular and don't opinion, me a... but I think that music gets really fucking old really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if, if, I love it. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's, You're hearing it a lot it, over 120 hours. It lived, I didn't even finish that game. Anna still talks about what was that game with that fucking jazz that played for six days. <laughs> but I haven't picked music. I've picked Art Direction because this is just the most stylish game. It's incredible. It's just absurd how good it looks. Like, every single... Even the menus are, like, better animated than most games are in their entirety. <laughs> like, it's just ridiculous how good this game looks. Mm. Um, yeah, like, I don't, like if, you, if you've seen Persona 5, you've played Persona 5, you know what I'm talking about. But even just when we delve into art direction, it's not just that art style. It's the monsters are utterly bizarre. You've got like giant green penises in chariots. Like that's good art direction, if you ask me. Um, Yeah, you've got paedophile teachers, big big goblets of wine that somehow just—it's hard to describe unless you've seen it. Very odd to lead on. A brilliant art direction with paedophile teachers. <laughs> but they do wine. it in a way that's fantastical. <laughs> I don't know where I was heading. It's a great game. <laughs> the art direction is just, I think, just second to none. Mm. Like, and God knows when we get another persona because it looks like that must take a long time to animate all of that. But yeah, I just, God, I love, I love Persona. Um, so yeah, I'm having Persona Five Royal Four. Art direction, then. See, there's other, there's, I've got a few categories left here where I've got quite a few options. There's one category here where I feel like someone's about to scream, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I only really have one good option because my backup is just a bit naff. Mm-hmm. And for DLC, I am taking the Shivering Isles from Elder Scrolls Oblivion. Mm. Matt's, I thought Matt would no, be having no. his eyes on this. I actually, I don't like Oblivion. <laughs> no. Oh, there we go. Um, I'm not going to lie. I haven't played a lot of this, <laughs> but I know it's considered one of the best RPG DLCs of all time. You basically get another 40 hours of Oblivion. It's set on... An a realm called Mania. Uh, is it the no? It's the Isle of Man. It's half of its Mania, then half of it's called Dementia, mm. which is you know a horrible place to be here. It's on the nose. But basically, <laughs> but um, yeah. So like, I'm just kind of looking at my game. I've kind of got this this realm of Mania with a detective story with the crew from Mass Effect and the art direction of Persona. I don't know. It's kind of coming together in my head. I don't know if it's coming together in anyone else's head. Mm-hmm. No. But basically, you're getting a 40-hour expansion to Oblivion on top of this detective story, which sounds quite good to me. <laughs> um, but yeah. And Bethesda, you know, they can do... They've known to do some cool little detective side missions in their yeah, game. So true. maybe, you know, that could build into the main story somehow... Um, here, I don't really. I, I'm not going to lie. My second choice for DLC was so bad that once Mass Effect Three and The Witcher Three were taken from me, this was all I had left. Mm. <laughs> so there you go. Um, I don't know where anyone else is going for DLC, but good luck to you. Um, there's, there's, there's still loads, mate. There's still loads. There of is, really but good. there's just not. I there's just none I've played. Like I'd feel 
I'm not going to name the games. I know they're meant to be good, but I, I don't want to be too disingenuous. At least I've played Oblivion. Mm. I've not played too much of the DLC. <laughs> but, you know, I don't really want to pick games I haven't played. I'll probably end up picking one game I haven't played just because, you know, a bit of a giggle in it. Uh, Joe, your next pick. I'm going to go for Characters and Party Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, Ooh, there we go. Which was, oh, that was a wince from Matt. Um, <laughs> it, it was my heart pick for villain. Um, mm. Oh, sorry, head pick for villain. Um, I guess, I mean, look, Dragon Age Inquisition's party, we don't need to say much more about it other than, you know, Mass Effect. <laughs> they did that and it was good, but one of them was a giant bull man. Um, <laughs> it's. Uh, it's a group of people, I don't think they are as indelibly written into my brain as the Mass Effect party, but the depths of them, I think, are deeper. You spend more mm-hmm. time talking to those people, and I think there's there's more sadness to all the people in Dragon Age Inquisition than there is in Mass Effect. It's a, it's a, darker, it's a darker place, um, I, and I just, like, the way, the way those people interact with you both at your base and on trips in that game. Mm-hmm. Trips. Quests. <laughs> I think of it as trips. trips. I think of it as nice trips with those people. And the way they evolve and like, they have this the thing that really sticks with me in Dragon Age is the tarot card illustrations of the characters mm. you get. Like, they are shown to you on these wonderfully drawn cards. And when you hit moments in their story those cards quietly change and you don't know they've changed until you go and look at that character's card again and you realise that some massive change in their personality or some breakthrough or a devastation has changed that card forever and you've done that and like you've been a part of that character's history and there's something I think it it illustrates the depths to which those characters travel with you in that game and change with mm-hmm. you on that game um, this is... it's amazing Dragon Age Inquisition is next on my to playlist after I finish Final Fantasy X because mm-hmm. Dragon Age is just a big blind spot for me and I want to be excited for the next one. Like, so I want to I want to get in now. Like before. Do you know the twist of this one, Cardi? I do not. Okay. So what I will say I, on actually, regards... I kind of I kind of think I might do, but I don't want to go any further in case I'm wrong or right. On regards <laughs> to that, the one of the things I got for DLC would have been Trespasser, which oh, is Inquisition's yeah. DLC. Which, I have still never played Trespasser. I really should. Which obviously relates to the the kind of big kind of reveal that mm. Inquisition has, and I think together, like the main campaign and Trespasser, you know, people get a bit sniffy about Inquisition. I genuinely think Inquisition is one of the best RPGs that is in BioWare's kind of library, and it's oh, one yeah. of the best fantasy RPGs ever made. Um, I think it's such a step up, quite honestly, in Bioware's design. There's so much in that game that is a result of the learnings of Mass Effect. Mm. And whilst, like you say, whilst it maybe is difficult to have that kind of, like, attachment to them because you don't have the trilogy, right? Like, none of these characters really have, like, legacy. But good God, as as a piece of design and and a journey that you go on, Inquisition has such, such legs. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Those characters, those characters change so much in the course of one game that it's kind of amazing that that they could manage it at all. Like mm. it's 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 very very cool. I love it. I really love should it. Should I speaking of Dragon Age? Should I go straight into Inquisition? Do you think? Do I need to go back to Origins or anything? No, 
Just go into Inquisition. Also, to be quite honest, like unless you're playing Dragon Age Origins on PC, like it, it's an entirely different game on PC. The way it works is mm-hmm. so fundamentally based for mouse and keyboard that the console versions butchered it. I like Dragon Age 2 a lot, but um, Dragon Age 3, Inquisition is where to start. It's its own game. Like, yeah, I just, think there's, just there. there's like hint, well, not hints, there's connections to the old games, but yeah, it, like, like is in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't play the first two, and I played Inquisition first and was like, this makes perfect sense, it's all yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's great. Um, nice. Matt, it's time for another two picks from yourself. It is, yes. So, I, I'm just trying to pick it's these things. A, that, a little bit, I mean, there's still so many good RPGs. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not getting too difficult yet. So I'm going to pick one that I do worry that Joe might steal from me at some point. So for music, I'm going to go. And this is the wonderful thing about this being RPGs and there being boundaries. Oh, that I know what you're about to say. Fuck. Uh, it's going to be the music from Near Automata. <laughs> <laughs> that was my second choice. So that was the one game I haven't played, but I'm like, that music's good, isn't it? Oh, uh, wonderfully. Because I, I, I went to make sure, it's like, is Nier definitely an RPG? And they literally hired a man to make the RPG <laughs> systems yeah, for yeah, it. it. So so all of the kind of the, the chip settings and the side quests and all of that were what they were Apparently The Witcher 3 was their inspiration for it, which is wild. But, yeah, I, you can hear it though. Like the amount of vocals in instrumental, you know, above instrumental tracks mm-hmm. in that game, you can you can see it. But um, so so Nier Automata has like this very kind of like it's a singular soundtrack, as you say. Like it's vocalized. I can remember seeing it uh, at Gamescom for the very first time. Like I've been convinced, like you need to come and see this game. Nobody's going to want to write about it, but you need to come and see it before anybody kind of knew what it was, and. In the room was the guy that was to, there to talk about music because they considered music was so at the front of the experience. And there are, like, boss battles, you know, in most games have very, very well-composed signature tunes to that, but the boss fights in in Nier Automata have, like, absolute kind of, like, proper orchestral, you-want-to-go-to-a-live rendition of this because the way that kind of the vocals and the and the kind of melodies are layered and just the like it matches the so well the tone of whatever you're doing at any one point in that game like like in terms of building that epicness and that kind of like escalating sadness that is the story of automata it does such a good job of mm. that like i'm i'm not like a person that's very good about talking about music i've never written about music so I, I find it maybe a little bit difficult to kind of explain why i like it so much but um it is a absolutely singular soundtrack there's nothing like it mm-hmm. yeah like i said i this is yet another on my to playlist but i do not have the time but i've definitely listened to a lot of the music from this game and it is yeah it's it's, it's beautiful that's so what good. it is it's beautiful um what's your next pick Matt? what is my next pick so i think i'm at a point now where I doubt anybody else is going to necessarily choose the ones that I'm doing. Um, but... That's a grimace. That's I'm going to go for... Oh, what's it going to be? 
combat, I'm going to take Divinity Original Sin 2. Mm. Oh, that was, um, my, that was on my list. <laughs> so, um, what? I mean, it's probably, arguably your favourite game, isn't it? It's one of my favourite games of all time, yeah. It's kind of like, like it. I must say, kind of like it's a little bit bounced a little bit on where it is in like my top five of late, mm-hmm. just because there's been a surprising amount of very good games that have come out since Divinity Original Sin 2 Ooh, came yeah. out. But um, one of the things, uh, you know, I'm surprised that it, some in some part of me is surprised that it hasn't already come up in this draft because of how much I love it. But I actually think quite a lot of the things that Divinity does, like its setting, for example, isn't particularly remarkable in any mm-hmm. sense. It's a very standard fantasy setting. Um, and a lot of it is the way that all of its components come together is why Divinity is one of the best RPGs ever made. But its combat is the thing that sticks out on the premise yeah. of that it is a very, very reactive combat system that, because it's turn-based, allows you to make very, very tactical decisions. But it's the way tactical decisions can spin out almost in the way that... You know how RPGs like your choices to be able to branch the narrative? A choice in combat in Divinity branches the combat. So it's kind of like you uh, have a character that has been set on fire, so you're like, I desperately need to put them out, otherwise they're going to take damage over time. So you cast a rain spell and you have it rain. But then your enemies might cast a freezing spell, which freezes the rain, which makes that the entire battlefield is now a sheet of ice. And then the only other character you've got is a melee character that's still got time. And you know that if you move that melee character, they're just going to slip up on the ice and going to spend the next two turns on their ass. And it's the it's fact so that, like, good. all of it, and, that you know, the common sort of thing about Divinity is is everything ends in fire. At some point, yeah. someone is going to set something on fire, and the entire battlefield is going to be ablaze. But it's the way that you can then, like, you can bless those flames, so you start healing yourself while you're in the fire. Yeah. But obviously, if an enemy walks into it, then they're healing themselves. It- I'm. I played. I got like halfway through. I think when I played it, I do intend you, to pick you up. You got again. less than halfway through. Okay, it's a very okay. Good game, but you got a good chunk in enough to fully mm-hmm. appreciate these combat systems and how good they are. And I know it's it's kind of the tired thing that's said about this game a lot. It's like if you try it, it will probably work, or yeah. something will happen. Like if you throw something at something, it will react, and something will happen. And half the time, it is just the fun of working out and not knowing what's going to happen if you do combine something or something mm-hmm. and like it could backfire horribly and that happened yeah, yeah. a lot of times when i was playing and like just the oh what's the name of the undead character oh thane was, yeah yeah just a lot of thanes in rpgs on there um but just like getting around the whole mindset that poison heals him that's it isn't and, like, and healing damages him yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. that whole just but yeah, it allows you to so then use clever. him as a very, very different character. It's like as things are boiling up and all elements are popping off on the front line, yeah. you can more often safely move Fane into those areas mm-hmm. because he's dead and therefore certain <laughs> things just don't affect him. Um, and all of those kind of elements. The fact that I can remember one of the first kind of memes that went viral around uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 was someone defeating one of the earliest bosses with a portrait of themselves that they'd stolen off the wall of his castle and just went and repeatedly bashed him on the head with it. And uh, it's just, like like you say, you can just do any old shit you want. And, you know, it's part of the thing that I'm really excited about Baldur's Gate 3 for mm-hmm. is that combat system is obviously an evolution of what mm-hmm. Divinity does. And I've already seen that practically anything you pick up in that can then be used as a throwing device. 
So the ability to kind of like pick up other enemies and throw them at other enemies, you know, something that I guess is a little bit of lineage in Dragon's Dogma there, kind of the ability to pick people up and chuck them around. Mm. Um, like, Larry and have like a really interesting approach to combat that I think is just unlike anything else on the sphere. Yeah, it's just so intricately designed, but yet not prescribed. It really just just let you go wild with it, and that, I think that's what I loved so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. That's a good pick, isn't it? A lot of good games, a lot of good RPGs. Joe, what you got next? You you're smiling. Is that a worried smile? No, I'm just I'm at the point where I'm just gonna pick the thing just to stop you picking the thing. So Dragon's oh, Dogma yeah. main story. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Just so I can't drive a dagger into yeah, your Yeah, I just don't want okay. anyone to hurt my feelings. Today. That's why I did Persona. I don't think either of you are anywhere near as big a Persona fan no. as I am, but still. Um, Dragon's Dogma. I know we've been avoiding spoilers, right? But I am going to spoil this now because you can't say why the main story of Dragon's Dogma is so good without spoiling it. So, mm-hmm. Dragon's Dogma is a game that starts off with a giant red dragon pulling your heart out with its claw and flying off. And it turns out you're still alive. I can't remember why. <laughs> then you make a friend who is from a special different dimension who doesn't have a soul and will follow you around until they die or you die. Um, and uh, that just seems like incidental at the time. That's just like, ah, fancy bullshit. You go around the world, you solve a bunch of problems, you get really strong, you finish the game by killing the dragon and reclaiming your heart. And you're like, oh, that's pretty normal. Lovely. Then the credits roll, <laughs> and a fucking cutscene plays where the capital city, where you've spent most of the game, splits in half and an infinite realm of monsters appears underneath it. And it turns out you're only halfway through the game. You have to skydive into the infinite realm, kill a number of increasingly difficult (laughs) boss monsters in there, at which point you realise that you have to go and kill God, because he's kidnapped whichever character in the game... Not again. ...you have befriended most. This is quite often an item vendor. (laughs) Yeah, you did not realise during the course of the game which character you'd befriended most because it didn't tell you where you were befriending anyone. (laughs) So so they just kidnap whoever you happen to have spoken to the most or done the most quests for. And so, yeah, as you say, a lot of the time it's just a random shopkeeper. Um, You go, you kill God, and then you become God. Right? And then you're stuck in heaven, or you can visit the world as an invisible person that no one can talk to. And you realise that the only way to finish that game is by using God's sword to kill yourself. And that is the end of the game. You kill yourself and your soul goes into your soulless friend. And then when you start New Game Plus, you play as the soulful version of your soulless friend. And it all happens again forever and ever in an endless cycle of madness and horror. (laughs) It's fucking amazing it does sound incredible I, I, and <laughs> you i know it's kind of been again another tie point at this point in time i think but you can see where some of miyazaki's inspirations for some of his stuff comes from in dragon's dogma i think like especially just that stuff of like hit like almost stuff you thought was completely meaningless coming back yeah. and actually meaning something in the end and just like just the madness of it all really if we're honest <laughs> this is it like Quite apart from, I think Dragon's Dogma has one of the best combat systems and like class systems in an open world action RPG. I think it, I think it has so many ideas that kind of half fit together. And this, it feels messy, but I kind mm. of love it for its mess because it feels like 
someone with so much to say and so much to try and they just didn't stop themselves and the main story is like i just that plot line the more i got into it the more i was like what the fuck is going on (laughs) like who wrote this why are they allowed you weren't actually on last week we'd never got your like your uh, quick fire like how excited dragon's dogma 2 is actually a thing it's the problem is if they'd shown anything i'd be more excited because we already like IGN already knew that Dragon's Dogma 2 was in mm. development, so it wasn't like a surprise to me. I'm delighted it's going to happen and that it hasn't been cancelled since we heard that it was in development. That's a very mm. good thing, but yeah. I have to see it. Like, because I want to know what <laughs> Dragon's Dogma 2 could mean anything. Like, yeah, I mean, how do you follow that story? Exactly. Like, what, what is <laughs> that game? Like... So, yeah, I, I need to see, I need to see it before I'm truly excited, mm-hmm. but it, it's amazing that it exists. I can't believe cool. it. It's great. Lovely. Um, I've got two picks now. I'm going to pause after my next pick, so we'll be halfway through. We're, we're, do you know what? We're, we're doing lots of good chat. This is going on, but we're doing lots of good chat, so that's good fun. Um, my next pick. I think I'm allowed this. Uh-oh. If there's some, if there's some, I'm, I'm welcome to have the chat, but I think it's different enough that I can have this for uh, combat. Yeah, I know what you're going to do. Final Fantasy VII remake. Yeah, yeah you can you that's, can have it. They're two separate games. That's really annoying because yeah. I was saving that for Art Direction. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the best combat I've played in a game in recent years. I think like really surprised me how much I in, I enjoyed it and just that combination of lots of different styles that really I don't know it's. I'm struggling to find the words to describe this combat system because it's quite hard, I think, mm. to briefly explain why it's so fun. It's very much one I think you need to... When I was watching all the preview stuff, I was like, oh, this looks cool. I'm not sure it's my cup of tea. But when I got it in my hands, I was like, oh, this just feels so good. You're kind of ju- you're juggling lots of things, but at the same time, it's never overwhelming. You always kind of... Once you're locked in, it just feels so good to be in that rhythm of like juggling these three different characters around. It's knowing of... like all these bars, the timings. It's almost like it turns into part like a rhythm game at points. It's yeah. so good. In some ways, it's kind of like it's the ultimate console version of real time reports, you know, which was the kind of um, system that ran RPGs for kind of like 10 years in the PC mm-hmm. space. And in Baldur's Gate and, and kind of Icewind Dale and those games is an incredibly fiddly. I, honestly, a system that I'm not particularly, I don't look back on fondly, mm. but the idea of being able to have real time and then pause it to create that tactical layer, I think Seven has the ultimate version of that for a console space. Like, like the, the way that you can pause that game and create real depth in the, in the mm-hmm. systems that you're working with. It's just so satisfying. And that's what ultimately you want from combat, I think, is it's just so satisfying it really did hit that sweet spot for me of challenging but never unfair as well like some of the like the final boss fights who did get quite difficult but i never you know it was never i never thought i'm giving up and never gonna do this like may have took an hour but i did it and i just yeah i had such a good time and i cannot wait for part two now i'm mega into it that is halfway through so so far my game is looking like the main story of Disco Elysium with the characters and party of Mass Effect 2, but the combat of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which, you know what, would be quite fun with a Mass Effect crew. Um, the art direction of Persona 5, uh, Royal, that is, not that it really matters. And then you've got the Shivering Isles DLC from Oblivion, so you've got 40 hours of mania on top of uh, all of that. Um, I've still got some crucial things, really, to add to mine, but yeah. we'll get there. Um, 
Joe, what have you got so far? Uh, I've got the main story of Dragon's Dogma with the side missions of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Fucking banger. And headed up by the villain, a fucking whale from Final Fantasy X. Uh, I've got the characters and party of Dragon Age Inquisition, which I'm also taking to mean that you get a custom-created character. Which I think okay. is which I think is perfect, uh, and uh, the DLC of The Witcher Three. So That's good. it's pretty it's much quite good. What best Matt, game what have you got? So uh, we have got the side mission design of Elden Ring. So not quite side mission design, but like optional area design and, and bosses of Elden Ring. But that that those kind of elements are going to be explored by the characters from Final Fantasy VII. Who fight in a in a wonderful turn based system drawn from Divinity Original Sin two? They're <laughs> fighting against the bastard that is the elusive man from Mass Effect three. All while the soundtrack from Near Automata oh, sounds in the background. Sound that is a magnificent game. Yeah, oh, that's some good games. Yeah, uh, who knows who's best so far? But I've got one more pick before it goes mm-hmm. to Joe again. I'm doing next. This is one game people will be shouting at. Uh, I'm going to take my location, the setting for my game. Yarnum from Bloodborne. Interesting. You are like I changed that from my first to my second pick, like literally an hour ago. So <laughs> Ooh, I'm there we not, go. not too not hurt. too worried. Um, I still have only played. What well, I think I got about again like a third through Bloodborne. Was enjoying it. Was enjoying it. Just you know, I hit the wall. I often do with Souls games until Elden Ring entered my life. But um, one thing you can't deny about this game is the setting of Yarnum, and not just Yarnum, but also the places it goes is just one of the most singular settings in a video game. Just, I just love that whole gothic style. And just on top of that, all the bizarre Lovecraftian cosmic stuff you get as well packaged into that. Like, I'm just imagining this Mass Effect detective story set in Yarnum with Persona 5 animation, and I'm just loving life, really, to be honest. With you. It's just like the idea that instead of it being like a workers' union strike, it just turns out that it's a bunch of cultists that are summoning an old god from beneath a city. Exactly. Who's doing it? You have to work out who really is the... who, who who's got all the blood. Uh, I don't know. Not me. Who's uh, got the blood? Who's got the blood? So, yeah, That's the kind I'm of taking... thing that would be shouted from behind a door in, in Yarnum. <laughs> Just people going, who's got the blood? Who's got, who's got the blood? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm taking the location slash setting of Bloodborne, a game I've heard some people enjoy a lot. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, Joe, what's next? Art direction. I've plumped after you've callously taken Final Fantasy Remake from me. I was going to do Integrate, by the way, just to be clear, because I know that people didn't like the backgrounds of the original Final Fantasy Remake. Uh, I'm going to go for Art Direction, Baldur's Gate 3. And there's a specific reason for that. I think that, you know, Baldur's Gate looks how it looks. You know, it's a kind of... And it's in early access, so we'll allow it, I think. Yeah, it's it's playable. Come on. Um, It's... It's a fantasy land, as you would expect, in, you know, fairly standard way, because it is, you know... Is it Forgotten Realms? Is that the... Yeah, yeah, that so the setting? It, it'll be on the Sword Coast. Yeah. So, the reason I'm picking Baldur's Gate 3 particularly is because it is a game that does that really neat trick of looking brilliant as a classic RPG and looks amazing up close. Like, those characters look so good when they're talking, the cutscenes look delightful. And I love that it can manage those two things. I think there's something really special about a game that that feels like it's been built from two different viewpoints and still looks good because so many games fudge things when they don't have to think about that. Um, and yeah, I just I, I just think basically 
my RPG you're going to be playing. You can play it top down if you want to, or you can zoom in. It just gives you the options. Play it how you want, and it's going to look <laughs> delicious. It will, guaranteed. Delicious Joe Scrabble's goodness. Damn right. That's what I don't know if that's the name of the game. We will name them at the end. We'll see. There's we'll an option see. for you. Uh, Matt, give us two picks. Go on. Okay. So, main story. Ooh, it's a big one. The Witcher 2. Mm, oh, the actual be best main story in the Witcher trilogy. Oh, um, someone's got uh, controversial opinions. It's, it's, it shouldn't be controversial because <laughs> The Witcher 2 does what so many RPGs wish they could do, which is literally give you a decision that branches the game straight down the middle and becomes two different games. Like, mm-hmm. at the, if anybody doesn't know, at the end of the first chapter of The Witcher, so it's a three-chapter game, um, you have the option to either side with uh, with Vernon Roach, who is the head of the Temeria Special Forces, or you can side with Yorvath, who is an elf that runs the Scoyatel, which are, depending on what your viewpoint at this point is, is either a terrorist force or a set of freedom fighters. And who you side with completely changes what the middle act of the game is. It is an entirely different game depending on which side you play. And the way that even though those stories kind of start to convene in the third act, um, it's still the way that all of those ripples create. You are effectively playing two different games from that point onwards. And there are so few games that have the ability to do that. And obviously it's largely because of production pipeline. It's very difficult to make two different games. But because of that, The Witcher is only 20 hours long, The Witcher 2 is, and it's a real good, tight, focused, intensely political RPG that is like playing through a season of Game of Thrones Mm. with all the satisfaction of the politics of when Game of Thrones was at its peak. Um, The the ending, there are such radical different endings depending on sort of like choices that you make. Um, It's got real kind of strong, because its character base is quite small, you you get to know all of the key players in that point. You get to learn exactly kind of like where the layers are between what their kind of like front-facing motivations are and rear-facing motivations and kind of the way that it spins a very grand political tale where lots and lots of countries and lots of murdered kings and, and various different vying factions... The fact that it can do that from just the perspective of Geralt, who is basically only ever in two places in the entire game, it feels so grand and yet is so focused in scope. It is like an absolutely incredible achievement in in sort of like main scenario design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, but yeah, you can't really knock that choice, can yeah. you? So yeah, there we go. There you go. The Witcher yeah, Two, next one? Uh, and then my secret sauce because this is the oh, only he's one going I'm for now... the sauce oh, now he's gone early it. with the sauce delicious because <laughs> this is one that i thought that, like there's a potentially cardi might take it um and this is one of the more like outlying kind of games but i'm gonna go for deus ex mankind divided oh interesting do you know what i had it down but in other categories, so I'm okay. I I've already, I already, it was my backup in a lot of characters. Literally, never even thought of Deus Ex being on this list. Yeah. <laughs> so me and Cardi actually had like a debate yesterday about it's whether borderline, isn't it? And, and I think, think it is an RPG. Yeah. So whilst Just. it is obviously, it's you know, in in the biz we like to call them immersive sims, right? But the fact is, is kind of immersive sims draw on lots of different elements, and it's kind mm-hmm. of like 
Deus Ex is the RPG side of the uh, mm-hmm. of the immersive sim, whereas kind of Dishonored be, is more your thing. To be fair, you're I'd, going with Mankind Divided, not Human Revolution. I am, yes. Mm-hmm. I'd almost okay. say that the Idos Montreal ones are the RPG ones and the original maybe Invisible War as well, I'm not sure, but the original feels much less like an RPG to me. I don't yeah, know why, but though. the original does have way more stats than any That's of the true. other ones. That is true. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. wrong. I don't know. You need numbers. You but do need the numbers. the reason why I'm choosing this again, the actual bit of Secret Source that I'm after is level Ooh. design, and that's why I chose Mankind Divided over Human Revolution, whilst okay. I think Human Revolution probably has the better narrative. I think Mankind Divided has that next step up in environments that are so knotty, um, mm-hmm. you know like lots of different i want a game where you've got the options of not just kind of like your standard are you going to stealth in or are you going to just kick the doors in and, and murder everybody as you get in but mm-hmm. also then the variations on that like are you someone that kicks the top window in and descends from above are you the person Absolutely. that sneaks in through <laughs> events <laughs> you know all those kind of little bit which i think mankind divided particularly in prague kind of it's um it's it's level design is is amazing mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to. It's very hard to knock that. Um, yeah, I'm. 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 Do you know? What? I'm happy someone took a DSX game because, as I said before, criminally just obscure games that no one's played, and people really should play more uh, DSX games this weekend. Hidden gems, some would call them. Mm. Uh, but there we go. Um, Joe, it's you. I was going to say it was me. It's you. I'm got, going to go for. Uh, I think I'm. At, I think I'm at the point where everything I'm picking now is definitely not going to be picked by anyone really? else. Uh, I've got one or two. I'm still. I've got one I'm worried about. I hope I get because my first choices are all a bit weird. Combat. <laughs> Ever heard of a little game called Skies of Arcadia? <laughs> I, I have heard of it. I've not played it. Dreamcast RPG. Oh, you'd say, you go, oh, that's just a bit normal, you isn't edgy it? edgy little boy. This party's <laughs> just doing turn-based combat. What's different about that? Because you make the fucking pirate ships fight as well, and they've got laser <laughs> cannons on them. Skies of Arcadia <laughs> is genuinely, I think, when I first found out what the concept of that game was, maybe the most excited I've ever been to play a game in my life, because they had flying pirate ships with laser cannons on them, and you got to control them. Um, no one's done it since. I don't know why. Make another Skies of Arcadia. What the fuck is going on? Uh, it's it's classic turn-based Final Fantasy-style combat, but sometimes it's ships as well. And I think that's perfect. So in my game, you're going to fly about in pirate ships with laser cannons on them and also do normal fighting. It's going to be great. Sounds good. I'm I like s- it. I'm so into it. Oh. Good addition. I'm always sold on pirate ships. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, I've got a couple of choices. Um... I'm finally going to take my music. And the reason I didn't take Persona 5 for music is because I'm taking Persona 4 for music. Arguably the better battle theme, I think, in Persona 4. Reach Out to the Truth is an all-time banger of a battle film and an R- film theme in an RPG. I also get the Junez uh, channel theme tune, which is always fantastic. Every day is great at your Junez. Yeah, I just really feel like that's really going to add to my yarn and vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to play this game that I'm never going to play, but I've got the Persona 4 music. 
So I'm very happy. Uh, Persona 4 Golden, for the record. Why not? Let's add that so you get a few extra tracks. Um, then I'm gonna take my side missions. Cyberpunk 2077. Because the side missions are the best part of that game, I think. Um, <laughs> they are. They're really not. Some of them. <laughs> The companion ones are the stuff with River and the stuff with Pan Am and the stuff with uh, is Judy, isn't it? Not gone mad. Are they are they actually side quests in that? Yeah, they're optional. Their extra stuff is definitely optional, like the the murder detective stuff with uh, River. That's all optional. Oh, I thought that was like linked into the. I think you you always meet them on your main quest. You always like initiate yeah yeah. quest them, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to go and do the extra stuff, which is what I'm talking about. Especially the River stuff was some of my favourite stuff in that game. When a bit Finchery got quite dark, and I'm imagining with my Disco Elysium story in Yarnum that could really add to the, add to my story so uh i'm taking cyberpunk for side quests don't make me wrong a lot of it all the races the boxing fights they're all nonsense See, that's what i was thinking and yeah, it's yeah. kind of like the you know the guy the the mad the guy that's mad about jesus and they nail oh, him yeah, to a yeah, cross yeah. that's all of that is gone i'm talking basically i'm really having the four like relationship quest the companion lines is really what the i'm companion taking storylines right yeah exactly those are what i'm taking for my side quests from cyberpunk really um because i've really running quite low on that category I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but those, yeah, I've only got what? I've only got two picks left now. But uh, Joe, what have you got next? I'm going to go for location. And I want to make very clear that this location is based on... <laughs> Where are we going? Not how it looks. Because my art direction is Baldur's Gate 3, remember? Okay. Right? Yeah. It's more the layout of it. <laughs> it's Pokemon Gold and Silver. You are an absolute <laughs> prick. Yes. I'm, oh it's, no! It's almost, My whole plan is gone. It's almost more delightful. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? Because it's the <laughs> right answer, isn't it, Cardi? No, but, the, but I would add it for another category, and now I don't have anything. Now I'm going to have to scramble for something. Good. <laughs> Pokemon Gold and Silver is oh the classic God. Pokemon world. It is a series of larger settlements connected by smaller bits of terrain obviously the modern age will we'll extend the terrain bits that you have nicer fights and your pirate ships can fly out over across them but the thing about pokemon gold and silver if you don't know is that when you finish the game i, I can see cardi googling it's amazing um <laughs> It's, oh, you do not. So I'm just going to drop the cut. Like I was going to have that for villain. I'm going to oh, have Red as the nice. villain because he's one of the best like villain reveals in a game. But now I'm screwed. As as Cardi alludes to, when you finish the game, you beat the character from the first uh, Red and Blue games, and then you fucking find out that the entirety of the Red and Blue world is in Gold and Silver with all the original Pokemon and all the stuff. It's two full worlds. It's insane. <laughs> it's like it's one of the most ludicrous like it's not even a twist i don't know what you'd call it like just a end of game reveal um it's just amazing um so yeah my game i don't care anymore my game would keep secret from you that you were flying across a world that would then lead to an entirely separate world that you get to on a nice little train um it's so good oh my god what an end what what a location what an ending to that game and apparently it was all down to uh satoru wata good on him because um, oh, he was a master of compression. Sake. Ledge. Uh, how you doing there, Cardi? Uh, you feeling alright? Uh, I'm going to have to pick something I ain't played now. Uh, and be like, yeah, that's good, isn't it? 
Um, do you know what? It'll look good on the tweet of the graphic that I picked it because I haven't played it. But I've never fought the person I'll pick. But you know, you've you gone know, more London because you're so angry. <laughs> you've gone aggressive. I ain't even played uh... this fucking mad game. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, anyway, Matt's got two picks. So I've still got time to really, really few. <laughs> please, please pick two things Cardi wanted. It will be so funny. I, I don't think there's anything now that Cardi would want out of my picks. I thought no one would pick Pokemon. Nobody. It's one of the most famous RPGs of all yeah, time, mate. You don't, I know you two aren't big into Pokemon. Oh, I used to be. Back when it was good. You had to pick gold and silver. I know, uh, right? Oh, can I pick it? Oh, fuck it. Carry on. Right. Uh, location. I'm going to go. Like, a lot of the games that I've, you know, focused on have been very much kind of in the modern era of RPGs, right? So I'm going to go back, back to the classics. Infinity Engine. This is Planescape Torment. Mm, so I, that the... was my main story. Ah. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's a good one, that. So Planescape Torment is set in Sigil, which is a city above a spire, that is the central part of the Dungeons and Dragons multiverse. And within that uh, city are portals that go out to all the different planes of existence. So effectively what you've got is a game that can take you to pretty much anything you want. Whereas obviously, you know, Planescape can't take you to every element of the D&D universe. It's not, you know, the game isn't big enough to possibly even do that, but it still takes you to a fair, cool amount of locations. You know, in you know a game that's made in 2022 whenever we're making this i would hope we can have even more variety of kind of things but it's just it's essentially it's a toolbox to let you go wherever you want your story to go right it's a brilliant show it's a really clever lateral way of thinking about it well done love that um and then for art direction this one i feel like 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 a lot of the good kind of obvious picks have gone and also because so much of particularly my expertise i guess in rpgs is more the western kind of fantasy it means that a lot of it is tolkien based so pretty much most of it kind of looks very similar um but what i'm actually going to go for is uh child of light which is oh. ubisoft's mm, weird little stab at making a jrpg but with a very kind of western kind of fairy tale aesthetic um, with this kind of beautifully hand-drawn kind of 2D look that was obviously made in the UBR engine, which I can't believe has just kind of been left to waste Mad at this point. Um, and it is, it's got like like absolutely beautiful kind of aesthetic. The other one that I was toying with was Tales of Arise as well, which I think kind of has a almost Japanese equivalent of this. You know, it's mm. much more anime in its style, but whilst it has the anime faces is much more painterly in the way that it is is drawn the locations but, look amazing in that game like yeah some of the screenshots you see they're so good mm-hmm. but yeah so i saw on because i like the idea of you know i imagine the game that would be built out of these components would still be 3d but i like the idea of those kind of 3d areas done in the child of light because you can do so like especially when you see like like the Rick and Morty game that they've done and like you know when they put Rick and Morty sorry into Fortnite and they mm. still looked like cartoons yet they were 3D avatars like we are getting better and better at making 2D things well, things that are 3D look like 2D you know yeah, kind of yeah. um Nino Cooney is very very good at this so I do think we're at the point where we can translate 
the child of light art style into a 3D world, and I mm. think it would look pretty magnificent. Yeah, into that. Yep. Yeah. Well done. Good, good choice. God, you're uh, so angry. It's amazing. I'm just panicking it. <laughs> uh, but I still got another pit, Joe. Don't break my heart again. Uh, you've been warned. Okay. Um, well, I've only, what have I got left? I've got music and secret source. Uh, no one's going to pick my secret source. That is impossible. Music, I'm really struggling on. I'm not going to lie. I don't, game soundtracks aren't something I listen to very much. Unless they're mm. bangers like FTL or Grindstone, the two best ones. Um, <laughs> I was, th- okay. I'm pretty sure I know the answer. And obviously I wouldn't have put this in any other place. But can we say, for the purposes of music alone, <laughs> that Breath of the Wild is an RPG? It's not. Oh, uh, it's got weapons and that, though. <laughs> it's not, okay. And you, and you know that. I know. I wouldn't have chosen it anywhere else. <laughs> it's just got the best music. Okay. Um, I'm going to go for one that I just... Okay, I just know people love it. And I don't listen to it. But uh, Xenoblade Chronicles... absolutely love that soundtrack i have almost nothing to say about it but what i will say is that it was second choice for my location and the music reflects the world that is a giant landscape built on the top top of two god robots that killed each other and got stuck (laughs) in the sky um and if that if music can't communicate anything to you other than that then you know we've won so imagine that imagine pirate ships flying around to giant robot music uh, I'm imagining it. That's what I'm going I'm for. Um, I'm sorry to Xenoblade fans. I know I haven't done a good job there, but I hear it's an amazing soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Run down. All right. I've got to pick a villain, and I. Um, so I've got two choices here. One from a game I have played, isn't mm-hmm. as good a villain. One from a game I haven't played, but I know it's a good villain. Uh, and I'm really. You guys all picked your villains. Mm-hmm. Yep. So all four of mine went. So that's good, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> uh. Do I do I be? I said I wouldn't pick many games I haven't played, so I'd feel false in picking. I tell you, the one I'm not going to pick is Gwyn from Dark Souls. Okay. <laughs> so I know fuck all about him. Apart from he loves a bit of Cinder. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm gonna pick. From Mass Effect One, Saren. Hmm? I like that. Just because Saren's he's a good, good he's a good villain. Um, he's a very good villain. He's yeah, he's just oh, he's just slimy from the get go, isn't he? It's, you know he's a bad one. That's the thing. <laughs> I when I went back to Legendary Edition, I forgot that you just know Saren's a prick from like minute oh, yeah. one. <laughs> like mm. it does not do anything to say. Oh, maybe he's you know maybe he's doing it for the greater good. He's just an arsehole. <laughs> like he's he is. such a dick. And I and I like that he's kind of yeah. You just I don't want to spoil Mass Effect. Some people might still want to play it, but yeah, the way you dispatch him is quite enjoyable. Um, yeah, particularly Saren. if you get that uh, the verbal kind of cue to be able to mm. do a really cool thing with him there. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, we'll go for him. He he was a good villain. He struck me as a well uh, when I played it last year. Still holds up very well as a as a, an antagonist. Mm. Um, so there you go, um, yeah. Uh, so that's my that's my fifth choice villain for everyone there. Yeah. <laughs> so grumpy. 
Um, my secret sauce. So I've got so many options. I've got four options here. Three of which are, are, are novelty joke ones, really. Mm-hmm. And I've got one that's genuinely good. But I'm also not sure how the genuinely good secret sauce is gonna combine with the rest of my game at all. But I feel like I can make it work. And I'm going to choose my secret source as Fallout New Vegas's faction interplay. Nice. <laughs> good. Very um, good. I feel like that can work in the main story of Disco Elysium as lots of different worker groups or something like you betray some you could you could work that out i feel like someone smarter than me could write a good rpg with those uh mechanics in there uh, uh maybe obsidian want to talk to zalm at some point uh but yeah i'm going to take that and after we're finished just in case anyone else is going to pick any of these other secret sources i've got written down i'm not going to say them just yet but i'll, I'll explain to you where it could have gone if someone else had mm-hmm. said new vegas earlier because we would have had some we would have had a mess on our hands frankly um but yeah there we go that's my game done, but you guys have, have you guys still got a pick each? Yeah, somewhere? baby. Mm-hmm. My oh, secret boy. source. Now, I don't think it's any surprise that my secret source would be the 3DS-only, download-only mini-RPG made by <laughs> Yasumi Matsuno, Crimson Shroud. So, <laughs> let's talk about Crimson Shroud. <laughs> why don't you pick, why do you pick Pokemon? We pick that again. <laughs> no, secret source, Crimson Shroud. And I didn't... This was my only choice, because I knew I just wanted to do this, because Crimson Shroud's secret source is that as I looked through RPGs, I realised quite how many, and I think they're all good, quite how many have the thing, and I won't say which ones, where a party member you've played the entire game with turns out to be the big villain, right? There's loads. It's like a twist that everyone does, and yet every time it happens, you're like, that's fucking wicked. (laughs) What none of these games do is end, like Crimson Shroud does, by saying that one of your party members was evil the whole way through, and then say, by the way, she put you in a special magic jail and started the apocalypse, <laughs> right? <laughs> Crimson Shroud ends on that note. And you're like, what the fuck? That was weird. Like, what straight... And it's literally delivered in text. You're like, what is going on? Turns out, it doesn't tell you that if you play the entire game again, the ending is better because you go back <laughs> and effectively do all the same stuff again. But you're playing with the real not-evil version in the second playthrough, and you stop the apocalypse the second time round. So what I am proposing is a game in which the entire game, in my game, you're there's this whale on your team. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, the, the specific secret source is this. Is that you finish the game, they're evil, and then you have to play the entire game again, and they're good the second time. And you fit, okay. and the nice ending is after you've played the whole game a second time. Um, <laughs> right, so you, the first time you play through, you're on a pirate ship, and you meet this whale called Sin. And it's you're like, what a cool guy Sin is, all the way through. And then at the very end, <laughs> cool you're name. like, oh my god, Sin's evil! And the whole world blows up. And then you play the second time... And you play with sin again, except it's nice sin. And then at the end, sin's fine and stops evil sin from doing the bad stuff. That's my secret source. Brilliant. I mean, I don't know how we get that into a couple of words for for a just say crimson shrouds weird double ending. 
Okay, cool. Look, I'm not going to win, am I? But I just wanted to talk about Crimson Shroud. It's <laughs> not wicked. Gonna, not going to. The skies of Arcadia Crimson Shroud combo could come home to roost. If we you, don't look, know. If you've still got a 3DS, and if that shop hasn't closed down, which it might have done, I can't remember when that closes. <laughs> uh, download Crimson Shroud. It's really good. It's like a yeah, D&D think... style RPG that was made as a side project for the man who made uh, Vagrant Story. It's grab yourself a Dreamcast as well. Do that. And play yeah. Skies of Arcadia. Um, Matt, the final pick of the whole thing. What you got? Mm-hmm. So, I want to say Baldur's Gate 2 uh, Throne of Baal, which is... Um, what, what category is it, sorry? This would be DLC. Oh. So, Throne of Baal is the expansion to Baldur's Gate 2, which is, by all accounts, absolutely astonishing and essentially a, a game on its own. I say it by all accounts, I have not played it, so therefore I'm not going to pick it. <laughs> oh. um, I'm going to go there. I appreciate there for... the honourable approach. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm going to go for The Ringed City, the final piece of DLC for not just Dark Souls 2, sorry, not just Dark Souls 3, but Dark Souls as the entire series. It is the cap off mm. to the complete trilogy. Mm. Um, this is a. There are so many kind of like lingering plot threads across the Dark Souls trilogy that sort of come to a head in the Ring City. But it's mostly a case of it just feels like the thematic end to everything in that that series is kind of built up to. Like the end boss in it is like probably one of the hardest bosses in like the entire trilogy. Like uh, Slave Knight Gale is like an absolutely incredible fight. It's fought in to to kind of use something that I know that you two you know the fight against Radan where it's just in like absolute yeah. kind of mm-hmm. battle it's like probably one of the very very few fights in like the Dark Souls series that's on a on a battlefield that's that scale mm. and you just have so much room to fight that it's kind of a case of that you're moving around with such kind of like lengths and and big kind of pirouetting moves around him and stuff like that there's not really another battlefield that kind of quite feels in that way um but my particular thing is is the fact that it kind of brings um uh patches kind of arc to a really interesting conclusion where you kind of realize that well you realize that this little (laughs) shit that's been kind of like you know a little bit of a not a thorn in your side but like this little bastard that keeps cropping up and pushing you off things throughout this entire trilogy it kind of turns out that he's got like a really big point to make by the time you get to the end of it and like he talks about the idea of that um all men are like like sort of doomed to just be like poisoned by greed and all of these times that you've kind of been tricked by uh by patches is because you were greedy you were looking for more treasure and he's mm-hmm. kind of punished you for it and it's this whole sort of thing that like in dark souls you quite often die because you got greedy. Mm. Like, the whole idea of, like, you just thought you could get in those extra four swipes against the boss, and it killed you because you were greedy. And you just kind of went down this patch because you saw a little twinkle down there, and you were like, that's going to be a super cool sword that I can use to defeat this boss that I'm stuck on. And it's like, Patches has just been, like, his little quest has been to fuck you over because he just hates greedy people, and he wants greedy people to get their comeuppance. And I just love that there's this wonderful kind of like final punctuation mark on the end of Patch's story there. And that more so like the Ring City itself is absolutely beautiful and like level design, absolutely peak kind of souls in that area. 
but I just love where Patch's story kind of ends there, and mm, that okay. is why I'm choosing The Ring City. Good stuff. Go. Matthew Perslow, Patch's apologist. <laughs> heard it here first. Um, cool, that's all our games done. We're going to have to think some titles for them very quickly. Oh, God, um, yeah. I'll think of that. Now, my other secret source, by the way, if, I, if New Vegas had been taken, this is what I've been left with. Uh, Donald Duck from Kingdom Hearts. Um, <laughs> uh, the Flyers, flying suits from Anthem. You could just fly around. Mm. Um or chaos from Strangers Paradise. <laughs> oh, chaos. Just, just as a laugh. Um, he, I almost picked him as villain just for a laugh. But I don't know if he ultimately is the villain of that game because I also that I have finished Stranger of Paradise and fuck me, is that game like it's it's not good. <laughs> oh, there we go. Um, right, what am I going to call my game? What if, uh, why don't we run through what our games are first? I'll do that. Mine is set. In the Arnhem from Bloodborne, with the story of Disco Elysium, the side missions from Cyberpunk, the characters and party of Mass Effect 2, the combat of Final Fantasy VII Remake, the villain is Saren from Mass Effect 1, the art direction of Persona 5 Royal, the music of Persona 4 Golden, the Shivering Isles DLC from Oblivion, and the secret source of the faction interplay systems of Fallout New Vegas. And I'm going to say, my game is called... Um, Blood of the Night colon a detective story. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a vampire game, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> That's what it is now. Okay. Um, there we go. Um, but actually, it's a night with a K. Oh, so blood it's Blood night. of the Night. Yeah, into it. A detective story. So there you go. A space detective story. A space detective it. story, okay. Yeah, there, there we go. That's the name of my game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there we go. And everyone wants to play that, I think. Anyone else got a name yet? Oh, yeah. I've got one. Oh, go on. So, well, no, I've got to tell you what my game is first. So oh, it's, go on, yeah. It's yeah, the yeah. location of Pokemon Gold and Silver, which Cardi loved. The main story of Dragon's <laughs> Dogma. The side missions of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. The characters and party of Dragon Age Inquisition. The combat of Skies of Arcadia with pirate ships. The villain of Final Fantasy X, Big Fat Whale. Music of Xenoblade Chronicles, TBD. Art direction <laughs> of Baldur's Gate 3. The DLC of The Witcher 3. And secret source, Crimson Shroud, the big one. And it's called <laughs> Pirate Murderers, Secret of the Sky Whales. <laughs> what an absolute mess. I've realised <laughs> there's multiple whales, because I, I, I realised that I had... Uh, sin both in your party and as god at the end and then you become the and whale the god and he's yeah. the villain <laughs> so <laughs> lot of different sky whales to deal with um, they're going to be called all sorts of different things <laughs> fantastic Matt what what did you end up with uh, so I've got the the location is, uh, is Sigil and the multiverse from Planescape Torment uh, it has the main story from The Witcher 2 uh, the side quests from Elden Ring, the characters and party from Final Fantasy VII, the combat of Divinity Original Sin 2, the uh, villain from Mass Effect 3, the elusive man, um, the music of Nier Automata, uh, the DLC from Dark Souls 3, the Ring City, um, the art direction of Child of Light, and the level design is the secret source from Deus Ex Mankind Divided. Strong. And Strong. as a title, 
because I'm just going to smash words together. This is going to be Mass Torment, the Assassin of Fantasies. Oh, I like it. <laughs> that is the oh. most legit RPG name. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, by taking Pokemon, some would say that Joe assassinated my fantasy. Yeah, for, uh, baby. My game, but there you go. Um, there we go. We will post a poll on Twitter at some point and a graphic to remind people. If you want to vote, let us know who you think ended up with the game you want to play most. Um you never, you never know which way this is going to turn out. Secret it's a bit of the Sky Whales. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> how much you want to play my game after you've heard that. Yeah, Jeff Keighley is going to announce that in a few months at the Game Awards. God damn <laughs> right, go he mad. is. Um, no end of search this week because we've already gone on very Fuck, long. Why didn't um, I just call it Skies of Arcadia Two? Bollocks! <laughs> <laughs> Too late now. Um, <laughs> Do you want to change it? No, it's Pirate Murderer's Secret of the Sky Whales. I'm okay, sticking to my well, There we go. Um, yeah, no, no end of search this week, but you know it will come back. It's not gone forever. Don't worry. Um, what we have got though is two pieces of feedback mm. quickly because we can't not have any of your feedback. Uh, Joe, you've got you've got one here. This is from Harry. Harry says, "Hey gang, Joe's request for stories revolving around <laughs> misdiagnosis and gammy <laughs> eyelids. I have absolutely no memory of asking for that." <laughs> Triggered a memory I have long tried to keep buried. Oh, God. Around the age of seven, I was diagnosed with conjunctivitis and prescribed eye drops to ease my pain and get rid of my ailment. I was diagnosed correctly, but things went south due to a critical error in the application <laughs> oh, of my medicine. No. <laughs> I drank it. Around the time. Oh, oh, no. Oh. I've just read what the first line of this is and I'm already <laughs> feeling really bad. Oh, wow. Okay. Around the time I was diagnosed with conjunctivitis, my younger brother was being treated for an outbreak of verrucas on his foot. No. As we were both at an age where applying our own medicine would have proved daunting and difficult, the responsibility of applying each of our ointments lay with my father. Oh, no. One fateful Tuesday evening, I was called into the kitchen to receive my daily dose of eye drops. I was nervous, but had begun to grow accustomed to the routine and braced myself for the cool, sticky liquid to plop onto my cornea. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> Upon its contact, <laughs> I immediately knew something was amiss. <laughs> oh, no. A burning sensation, not unlike stabbing yourself with a flaming hot <laughs> knife, was piercing into my eye. I let out a tortured, guttural scream as I floundered about, blindly bumping into walls and writhing <laughs> with agony. My dad, as dads do, told me to shut up and stop being such <laughs> a wet lettuce. <laughs> After what felt like three hours of continued screaming, he oh. then decided that something must be wrong and reread the packaging. He then discovered that he had, in fact, applied Veruca cream to my eye and began blasting my face with cold water under the sink. <laughs> my brother got the better end of the deal as the eye drops had no effect on his foot. <laughs> Imagine if all the Verucas got eyes in the middle of their little craters. Yeah. We are laughing, but that could have ended in blindness. Yeah, I still feel uneasy around eye drops to this day and take special care to ensure I'm un applying them correctly. I have other medical misfortune stories, including a regrown tonsil. What? what? <laughs> are you a mutant? <laughs> what? But that's a story. I didn't know they could grow back. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> respect prescriptions. Respect the sea. Harry. Uh, wow. That might be too much for us. And we're drowning people. <laughs> yeah, we and we had the man who uh, broke his anus with a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus. Yeah, I just, <laughs> wow. Regrow. I did not know tonsils can grow back. 
I just thought they were like, they were gone. I don't think they can, so, and I think Harry might have applied for Rook cream <laughs> to his tonsils. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, we've got one more quick email, Matthew. Uh, yeah, this one's from Mark Stewart. He says, "Hey, folks, just a quick one off the back of the best potato dish chat. It was good chat. chat. Uh, M&S sell potato dauphinoise and beef bourguignon pie. Wait, 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 bu- wait. Potato dauphinoise and beef bourguignon as a single pie." I guess yes, is like it beef, the, I think the, it's beef bourguignon, yeah, with, with layers. Dauphinois layered on top. Christ alive. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds amazing. An affront to both French cuisine and maybe life itself, but damn, it's tasty. As for pulp veg, who knows? Oh my god. That is... I've just looked at it uh, online and it is indeed exactly what you think. Because oh, imagine the Dauphinois cheese going down into the bourguignon. Oh my god. Oh, just a minute. Is it, it's a. Pie. Oh yeah, so it even has. So let me read the description of it. Um, <laughs> it's slow cooked tender beef and a rich red wine and mushroom sauce, encased in all butter puff pastry and topped with creamy garlicky potatoes. So you're getting the pastry on the sides with the potato on top as well. I can't. My stomach has just started doing crazy stuff over here. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm so into that. That yeah, God. Mark, does look good, but you are directly responsible for my death. That is <laughs> I, like there we go. Off best potato dish chat. Potato dauphinoise is the one. That is really, it. see, I'm not as I'm not as big fan. I just don't. I'm not a big fan of like cre- creamy dishes. Oh. Bit too, uh, bit too rich. I think. Oh, yeah. rich me up. <laughs> um, I think we. Yeah, I think I said it last time. What I can't remember what my favorite. I said my favorite was, but triple cooked chips are good, uh, and a croquette. So I do like a croquette. Uh, but there we go. What, you, what is yours, Matt? Sorry, I uh, got that. I, I tell you what, uh, I speak love up. kind of like uh, like a a roast potato. I just think genuinely, absolutely, give me a good roasty any day. Yeah. Uh, but also like uh, I love uh, love a good sweet potato wedge. Oh, oh love sweet, sweet potato. potato is good. I was going to say pulped veg. Sweet potato mm. mash, that's the one for me. Exactly. I went for a big, like, there was a year where basically I just had sweet potato instead of potato, like, sweet potato fries, sweet potato wedge, like, and I got, I'm, I'm a, I'd burn out on sweet potato. I could go back to it now, I think. But, uh, yeah, there we go. Good chat. Uh, IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Uh, Elden Ring questions, uh, tonsils growing back, bourguignon pies, uh, anything really you want to talk to us about i think next week we're actually going to be doing a little bit of like a stranger things uh episode so if you have any if you've watched the finale of stranger things maybe send in some feedback to ign underscore uk feedback at ign.com what music do we have i mean we all did say near near's music was was very good do we go with that i think we got sure to. you fancy in it can you we... guys can pick which track the one where it's all the robots saying this cannot continue <laughs> <laughs> there we go that is what we're going to have now. Goodbye.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.